The second reading comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 29. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies of your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and ha that have been, has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Here ends the reading. Thanks, Pippa. If you'd like to keep your Bibles open at that second passage that we just read from Colossians chapter 1, and if you don't have a Bible, there are some out in the foyer on the shelf there. It's always helpful to be following along as we go. I'm going to do things a little bit differently today. Uh, today is Vision Sunday, and we're going to look at this passage, but um, I'm not going to go through it quite as thoroughly as perhaps we might normally on a regular week. Um, but if we, you do have any questions from anything that I say or anything that I don't say, then we'll have question time later on, so you can feel free to ask those at that point. But let's um, pray again. Heavenly Father, we do want to be people uh, who have your vision for us as a thing that fills our eyes and our hearts and that drives our actions, our behaviours. We pray that today that you will give us a bit of a glimpse of what that should be like, uh, that we will be people who um, strive in, in everything, to be heading in the direction that you want us to be heading. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, I've called today Vision Sunday because I do want it to be a day where we kind of take a step back a bit to see the bigger picture, I guess you could say, of God's vision for us so that we can make sure that it controls uh, our vision for ourselves and what we are looking forward to and how we are living. I guess you could say if, if, we're, if we're painting a picture, uh, every week we fill in a bit of that picture as we read the Bible together. That's showing us God's vision. Sometimes, though, we're zooming in to look at some aspect of it in detail, and other times we zoom back to try and see more of the big picture. And that really, I guess, is what Vision Sunday is about, to see the bigger picture of God's vision for us. And so each year at about this time, we're going to have a look at some passage that I think really does kind of speak to that bigger picture of what God wants for us and, and the vision that he wants us to have, and so that we can make sure that that is shaping uh, what we are on about. And so my hope is that today we will be captured by what the vision of what God is doing for us and in us so that it does 
fill our thoughts and, and govern our hearts and our actions, and so that we as a church together are shaped by what God wants us to be shaped by. And as you can see, the passage that I've chosen for us today is that one that Pippa has just read for us from Colossians. But the key verse, really, that I'm going to be focusing on today, or the key verses, are those last two in verses 28 and 29. And so I'm just going to read uh, chapter 1, verses 28 and 29 again for us now. It says this, He is the one we proclaim, that is, Christ is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. I want to suggest that those verses give us a vision of both where we want to be heading and how we want to get there. That is, we want to be heading towards full maturity in Christ and the way that we get there, it says, is by proclaiming Christ. This is what Paul, under God's instruction, was devoting all his energy towards and it gives us a great picture of what we should be devoting our energy towards as well, what we should be striving for and how we can go about it. So that's really the the, the vision that I'm going to be talking about today, people who are fully mature in Christ and that we get there by proclaiming Christ. But before we kind of spend some more time thinking about that together, I want to go back to the to the start of the passage and, and to see the vision that that presents of who we are now because of where we have come from. And this really is where we must start in understanding ourselves. That is, that we see ourselves, we have a vision of ourselves as people who are reconciled to God by the death of Jesus. In fact, as enemies who are reconciled to God by the death of Jesus. So let me read the first two verses now of our passage in verse 21 and 22 again. It says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Do you hear that? That's what Paul wants the Colossian Christians and us to always know about ourselves and the fundamental change that has happened for us, that we were alienated from God but have been reconciled to him. I don't know if you've ever had that experience of being alienated from someone. It's, it's not a, a nice feeling, being excluded, being left out. But, you know, there are some situations in life in our relationships where being alienated is even more significant than just a feeling of being left out or excluded. It's where there is a tragic breakdown in relationship, where people who were close or who should be close no longer are. Like a breakdown in a family where a husband and wife become estranged, or when a parent and a child no longer see each other. That's more the kind of alienation that this is talking about, where there are enemies who should be friends. Separation where there should be closeness. And it really is tragic. There's always a reason why this kind of alienation happens. Sometimes the fault is on both parties. 
Sometimes it's more on one than another. And, you know, sometimes this kind of separation is, is necessary to make the best of a bad situation. And sometimes it's necessary to protect someone in that relationship. But however necessary it might be sometimes, it's never good. No one wants to be alienated. It's a tragic and sad story of what should not be. And how much more so when the person we are alienated from is the God of the universe who created us and who gives us life and breath and food and everything we need to live, who made our world and who knows the best way for us to live in it. Paul wants us to know and to never forget that that's where we have come from. That kind of alienation is where we have come from and that in our case, the fault was entirely on our end. As you see again in verse 21, you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. That left to our own devices, we are hostile to God, both in our minds and in our behaviour. Now, for some of us, we might not think of ourselves that way and, and, and perhaps it's not so obvious. Our hostility to God is not as obvious, say, as those outspoken atheists who really shake their fists at God. But even when it's not that obvious, we do start to see it when what God says is good for us and that he wants for us is not what we want for ourselves. And so we perhaps subtly, perhaps slowly, leave God outside the door of our lives. That's what has alienated us from God. That's the hostility that alienates us from him. But that's who we were, Paul says. This is a good news story. He wants us to know that's not who we are anymore if we trust Jesus. He wants us to know that that's where we've come from so that we better appreciate where we are now. And it all hangs on those two words at the beginning of verse 22. But now. But now, he says, he has reconciled you. To God. Reconciliation is the undoing of alienation. It's bringing us back to that relationship that we were made for, but that was broken. And it says God has done this through the death of Jesus. And so that we can stand in front of God, holy and without blemish and free from accusation. Yeah, sometimes when you end up in the presence of someone that you actually are, are separated from and alienated from, it's not a good experience. It's not like that with us and God. There is no awkward kind of shuffling of the feet. There's no elephant in the, in the room of the broken relationship. There is no painful scars or fear of consequences. That is all gone because we have been thoroughly reconciled to God through Jesus. Yeah, what a difference it would make if every single one of us always had that vision of ourselves in our minds and as we speak, that we are just a group of people who have been reconciled to God through Jesus, reconciled by his death. Surely that should fill us, shouldn't it, with joy and with humility. Humility because we know where we have come from and joy because we know where we are now holy and blameless and free from accusation, who can stand in the presence of God, not because of ourselves, but because of Jesus. 
And if we do have that kind of vision for ourselves, then it should lead us to want to have other people come and join us on those same terms. And it should help us to have doors that are open wide, not just physically, but that make people feel welcome to join us. You know, people have all kinds of reasons for not wanting to set foot inside a church, whether physically or even kind of metaphorically for wanting to have nothing to do with God. If we have this vision of ourselves, though, it will help us to make sure that one of those reasons that someone doesn't want anything to do with God is not because of the self-righteous attitude of Christians, as if the thing that defines us is some superior moral code that we live by but that other people don't qualify for. No, the prerequisite for being one of us is actually a pretty low bar. Enemies of God and hostile in our hearts, in our minds and our actions. So really having this vision of ourselves should make it all the more natural for us to want to have people to join us. Even people for whom it might seem unlikely. I wonder if you can think maybe of who that person might be in in your life, maybe that friend or that neighbour who seems so far from God, who you just cannot imagine who Jesus is for. Or that family member who always seemed antagonistic and hostile even to Christian things. If we have this vision of ourselves, then we know that that's the person who Jesus is for. And if we know that, then it should make us a place where it is perfectly natural to have someone who has never opened a Bible and who wouldn't know where to start alongside someone who has been following Jesus for decades because our vision of ourselves is clear. We were enemies of God but have been reconciled to him by the death of Jesus. That's our vision of where we've come from. And from there, I want to come back now to where we started and the kind of endpoint vision that we should want for ourselves. That is, a vision of a people who are fully mature in Christ. A vision of a people who are fully mature in Christ. Let me read verse 28 again. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. You see, Paul is not content simply to see people become Christians and then just leave it at that and walk away, move on. He wants to see people grow and mature and changed into the direction of what we will be like when Jesus returns, that we are looking forward now to that heavenly kingdom that will transform us perfectly that when, when he comes. And that right now we are moving in that direction to what we will be like when he does come, fully mature in Christ. And so the goal for every believer, the vision for every believer and for us as a church should be that we are all constantly moving in that direction towards that kind of maturity. If I could try and illustrate it like this, at our house outside our back fence, We've got three passion fruit vines. At the beginning of spring uh, last year, my wife Helena decided that she wanted to plant some passion fruit vines and so she took herself off to the nursery to buy some. But when she got there, the guy, all the guy had was three little plants from last year's stock 
that were in the back of a shed somewhere and they looked terrible. They were barely alive, these stunted little things. What few leaves they had were eaten by bugs and the guy was kind of apologetic, offering them to us and he almost kind of gave them away for free. But she brought them home and she planted them and watered them and did all the things that you're meant to do when you, when you plant a passion fruit vine. And I'm pleased to report they have survived. I mean, they even survived a few weeks ago when the council worker came and poisoned the grass along our back fence right through the vines. But somehow they've survived. But they're not all growing in exactly the same way. The first one is still only about this big. It's got a few new leaves on it, which is great, and it is alive, but it's hardly the perfect picture of what you want a passion fruit vine to be like, right? The next one is doing a bit better. It's about kind of chest high, and it's starting to climb up the the trellis that we've put there for it, so it's going okay. But the third one, that's a whole other story altogether. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we went away on holiday for a few days and when we came home I was sitting at my desk which is at the back of our house I've got this little uh, home office study that has a window that looks out over that back fence where the three passion fruit vines are planted and when I came home I was sitting down at the desk and the window kind of looks up and all I can normally see is sky but I sat down there that day and I saw something moving out the window and I stood up to take a closer look and it was the third passion fruit vine. It was going gangbusters. It's grown to the top of the fence and it started to grow along and it's it's looking good and and hopefully in not too long we might even see some some passion fruits growing on it. That's what we want a passion fruit vine to be like, right? That first one is alive, but that's not what we want for it. We want it to be like its, its big brother, strong and healthy and growing and mature. That's what we aim for it. And I hope you can see the parallel with us and following Jesus. We shouldn't be content to just kind of tick a box and say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and then leave it at that. We should want to grow to full, the full maturity of what we are destined for. You know, sometimes I do come across Christians who seem to have an attitude to the Christian life that says, what's the minimum requirement that I need, that, that is required of me. Like the spiritual equivalent of the uni student who lives by the motto, P's get degrees. You know, that, what, what do I need to do just to get by? I'll be happy with that. There's all sorts of problems with that idea when it comes to living the Christian life. But if I could come back to our passion fruit vines, do we really want to be just that first vine that is alive, sure, but not really growing? not really even wanting to be growing. That's not what God has saved us for. He saved us to be that fully mature vine. And that's what we will be like when Jesus returns. And so that's the direction that we should be heading in now. So I wonder, which vine are you? And when asked that question, I'm not really asking how mature are you. I'm asking... What direction are you moving in? Are you seeking to grow in maturity in Jesus? Or are you content just to stand still wherever you are? See, far more important than where you are now is the direction that you are heading in.
what direction are you heading? Are you heading towards maturity in Jesus? But here's the thing, right? And this takes us to our third and final point. The thing that grows us and the thing that matures us towards that full maturity is the very same thing that starts us off as believers in the first place. It's the message of Jesus and of his death for us and putting our trust in him. That's what matures us. Let me read again verse 28. It says it right there. He is the one we proclaim. Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We proclaim Jesus, even to believers, to present each one of us mature in Christ. Because that's what grows us to maturity. And just down a bit further in my Bible, in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, it says the same thing again with different words. It says this. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Do you hear that? Just as you received, just as you began, so continue. Receiving Jesus as Lord and living with Jesus as Lord, and the way that we do that is through the message of Jesus. It's that message Paul says, that he admonishes everyone and teaches everyone with, correcting people who are kind of going astray and encouraging people who are going in the right direction. It's the same message. It's not like you kind of begin with Christianity 101, the basics, and then you move on to something else, some next level message. No, we just dig all the more deeply and all the more richly into the very same message that we started with. Some of you may know that we've just started our latest uh, round of the Christianity Explained course that we run periodically here. And that course is really meant to be aimed for uh, people to find out about what trusting and following Jesus is about. But, you know, every time I run that course, I find that it grows and enriches my own faith. Because the very same thing that brings us to trust Jesus in the first place is the same message that grows and strengthens us, which is why I'm happy for anyone to do that course, because the message of Jesus is what starts us on the journey and it's what matures us as well. The thing that reconciles us to God, as we heard at the beginning of the passage, is the same thing that matures us in Christ. And it's not even just the apostle who speaks this message. It's not even just pastors who, speaks this, who speak this message. We speak it to each other. Notice that he uses the same words over the page, at least in my Bible, in chapter 3, verse 16, for how we should speak to each other. In 3, verse 16, he says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Paul is proclaiming Jesus, teaching and admonishing everyone with all wisdom, and we are proclaiming Jesus, teaching and admonishing each other with all wisdom. We enrich and we grow each other in maturity as we speak this message of Jesus to each other. And can I say it really brings joy to my heart when I see exactly this kind of thing going on 
whether it's after church or in some other context, people speaking these kinds of words to encourage someone else or even to gently correct someone else who's maybe going the wrong direction because this is the message that does it. That's what we should be doing, speaking the message of Jesus in whatever situation, whether someone is maybe struggling with something, struggling with some temptation, when someone maybe is grieving, when someone is rejoicing, when someone is slowly drifting away or facing difficult decisions that they need need wisdom in or just in the mundane, boring, tiring normality of everyday life. That's the canvas of life that the message of Jesus is painted on and it's up to each one of us to do it. And if I could just finish briefly now with one practical suggestion, that is, I reckon one of the best ways and one of the best places that we can be doing this, speaking this to each other, is in Bible study groups that meet each week. In Bible study groups, we read the Bible together, we pray together, and as we get to know each other and we share lives together with the Bible open and as our foundation, it gives us opportunities to speak the message of Jesus into each other's lives to encourage each other, to teach each other, and yes, even sometimes to correct and rebuke each other so that we do grow in maturity, the kind of maturity that God wants for us. Bible study groups are such a great way to do this. And if you're not in one, then can I encourage you that as we start a new year, this is a great time to be joining one. It really is a great way to be committed to growing yourself at. I hope we have kind of managed to see with some clarity this vision that God has for us in this passage, a vision of who we are as people who've been brought from enemies and reconciled to God by the death of Jesus, and as a result who should be committed and for each other and for all of us as a church together. And it's my hope that today and this year and in the years to come, we will commit ourselves to pursuing this vision. Let's pray that we will. Heavenly Father, it's striking that the message of Jesus is so remarkably simple that we can hear it and take hold of it and grasp it in a day that a child can understand it and yet at the same time we can spend a lifetime delving into it and never plumbing its depths, never exhausting its richness and its fullness. That is a wonderful thing to behold, Father, and and we ask that you will help us to so recognise this that we commit ourselves to, to diving deeply into this message of Jesus and to knowing him all the better and to seeking to see those around us know him as well so that we will grow to the full maturity in Christ that you would have for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.